City Life Church exists to renew cities socially, spiritually, and culturally with the gospel of Jesus. My name is John Sego. I'm an elder here at City Life Church in Austin, Texas. Uh, thank you for joining us for another forum on public faith. Um, this ministry of the church exists to help us integrate our understanding of biblical truths with issues of public concern. Um, what we believe about God, um, what he's doing in the world, has uh, consequential effects on how we live our lives uh, in the public square and how we deal with these social and cultural issues, as well as every sphere um, of the human experience. And so um, this conversation today uh, is going to be recorded and will be posted on our website where you can find um, an archive of past forums on a wide variety of issues, uh, and that's going to be found at austincitylife.org. Uh, today, we're discussing the relationship between faith and science, and Logan Pierce, a partner of City Life Church, is joining us. Uh, let's start here. Uh, Logan, tell us who you are, your background, and why you're interested in this topic that we're going to be discussing today. Um, sure. Thank you for having me. Um, this is really great. Uh, that we're having this important conversation. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I am a uh, professional astronomer now. Um, I, it I took a winding path to get there, but now um, I am studying astronomy and physics. Um, I've just recently published a, a paper on, um, particularly I study how planets form and evolve uh, around stars. Um, and uh, um, I will be uh, attending the University of Arizona in the fall for my PhD in planet formation. Awesome. And uh, were you a scientist first or uh, were you a Christian first? So I, I think I've been a scientist since the day I was born. Um, I definitely uh, was fascinated by space and astronomy from like the moment I could know those things existed. Um, it has always captured my attention and my imagination. Um, I became a Christian when I was 18. Uh, so I was definitely a scientist first. Um, theology was, or anything about religion, was not a part of my childhood. Uh, I was raised in a basically, essentially atheistic house, and um, really just never even thought about religion or faith um, until I went to college and finally got really exposed to it. So, um, so yeah, definitely a scientist first. It's it's my lifeblood. It's what drives me. It's what gets me out of bed in the morning. So, were you ever? tempted or told you had to give up being a scientist or being in that field to be a believer, to believe in the gospel? No, I've never felt that. I've never felt like uh, like I had to choose one or the other. I don't think I could. Um, I could no more give up science than I could say God doesn't exist. Like I, I couldn't. Both of those things have always just been resonated as really true to me. Um, I did spend, so I've never had any experience any external pressure. Um, I did go through a period uh, about five years ago or so where I was very interested in, um, well, if I believe both of these things are true, like I must figure out how to reconcile them within myself and make sure that they line up because I'm convinced that both of them are true, so they have to be reconcilable. Um, and so I went through a period of um, six months to a year where I really intensely studied um, thinkers on the science side and the theology side and both together um, to make sure that that these things were reconcilable yeah. um, and uh, and so so yeah now I'm in a place where I'm very very confident that both are um, they're not in conflict with each other yeah um, 
to some, that's a paradox. <laughs> right. That, that you could that you could stay in both fields and that you could be yeah. confident in in both uh, endeavors of, mm-hmm. of firm, you know, holding um, your faith firm and mm-hmm. believing in the gospel and also being dedicated to science. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it like to be a Christian in the fields today? I mean, from your day to day, do you do you struggle with that? You said you went through a period of asking questions, but mm-hmm. now today being kind of past that, mm-hmm. um, do they, you know, is it just modes and part of the day you're a scientist, part of the day you're a believer? <laughs> How do you, uh, what is it like for you to be a Christian uh, and in a sci- in the field of science? Sure. Um, uh, I mean, most day to day, I don't think about it. Um, it's just a daily truth of my life that God is real and I can believe the findings of science. So um, I just go about my day and do my job. Uh, it never, it hardly ever comes up at work. Um, it's just never really a topic. When it does come up, I'm very happy to talk about what I believe and to um, engage with people's uh, questions about what I believe. More than happy to, um, but it doesn't come up to very often. Um, we just do our job day to day, like most people, you know. I think a lot of believers probably don't believe that because <laughs> when you look at the polls, sure, you know, there's a lot of polls about um, th- that come out about professional scientists, yeah, and how you know one of the recent polls came out that said um, more than seventy percent of professional scientists are atheists. Uh, I believe that. I mean, I, I would say that most of my peers probably are atheists. If they've thought about it at all, um, they probably will have concluded that there is no God. But I don't think that that's a requirement of being in the field. Um, but I am not surprised to learn that poll. Um, yeah. Do you have there been points in your career in education or in your job where you felt uh, I mean, persecuted is a strong word, but where you felt uncomfortable, like you mm-hmm. did not feel like you belong? Or is that something that, you know, that you feel like you have to be careful with identifying yourself as a Christian because mm-hmm. of the institution not welcoming you there? Not at all. Not in the least. Um, I am perfectly confident in stepping up and, and saying, like mentioning that, oh, I'm hanging out with my church friends tonight, or, you know, mentioning that, oh, yeah, well, I'm, you know, I am a Christian, or I have, a, I have this church community that I'm involved with. Um, it's, it's part of my identity, um, and so it's it's a it's a part of my identity I'm perfectly comfortable expressing um, at my day-to-day work. Um, I think the people I work with all know that I'm a believer and go to and I'm active in my church. Um, uh, one thing that's going on in my field, and I think in the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, and math um, disciplines in general, is um, right now there's actually a movement for um, making STEM more inclusive of all identities. Um, STEM fields have been dominated by white cisgendered men. Um, forever. And so um, there's a there's uh, a lot of barriers, um, system, systematic barriers to people of different identities um, participating fully in STEM. And so there's a big movement right now to um, be inclusive of people of all identities, uh, of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation. Um, there's a lot of that conversation is happening within science, the science field right now. And I think that 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 does include people of all identities. I think that there is generally a very big attitude of tolerance for people who identify as X, Y, Z, um, including Christians, including Muslim, including Jewish um, people, of, and including atheists. Um, that's because that's the general attitude towards um, the conversation that's happening in STEM right now. I think Christianity is being swept up in that as well. And th- of course, there are individuals who might have issues, but. Um, but as a whole, the STEM field is very interested in including people of all identities. Good. So uh, that's kind of 
institutions, mm -hmm. um, and then we'll hear from you know about the opinion of scientists, some outspoken scientists themselves. Mm -hmm. But those are different from science, the the practice mm -hmm. uh, uh, of science itself. What is a good working definition as we start to get into this? Uh, the relationship between the two. Um, what is the a, a good working definition we or concept of science? that we can use as we go forward to see how it works with our faith and what we do believe about the gospel. Sure. Um, well, the the practice of science um, kind of involves, uh, is, it's, a, it's a method of generating human knowledge. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's a little bit, um, this is not a, this is a good working definition. It's not a complete definition. There's some issues with it. But um, a good measure for whether a question is a scientific question is if that question is falsifiable. Can you design uh, an experiment or an observation to try to verify your question or your theory or your, uh, sorry, a hypothesis or your idea? Um, and if you can't design an observation to test your, po your position, then it's not a question that's answerable by science. Um, it's one mode of generating human knowledge um, using reason and logic and our faculties, our obs observational faculties. Um, there are perfectly relevant other ways of generating human knowledge, like philosophy, um, but a, a good philosophical question is not necessarily going to be a good scientific question. Can you give us an example in your field of what a question would be that you were observing or testing or uh, trying to falsify or see if it's falsifiable? In my question, in my field? Yeah. Um, so I study planet formation, um, and so I actually study a, uh, a particular type of planet that um, exist in a space where we can't fully explain how it forms. Um, we have models or, of how we think planet systems form. We have models for how we think stars form. Um, and neither of those two pa formation pathways do a good job of explaining how this particular object forms, which is what makes it interesting. So we What's have- the name of that particular object? <laughs> well, it's called a wide planetary mass companion. It's a very large planet very far away from its star. Um, and we don't have, we might, Planet 9 might be one in our system, we're not really sure, but we don't really have an example in our solar system of this, this type of planet. Um, but, uh, uh, anyway, so so this is a good scientific question because we have these models that make predictions that we can make observations to directly test those predictions. So because we know the universe makes these planets, we know that our models aren't complete because our models don't form them very well. So in order for us to have a, a any good model of how we think planets form has to be able to also form these objects. So our, our models aren't complete. So it's an open scientific question of how the universe makes these planets because we don't have a good working model for it. And that's what makes it a good scientific question. We have a prediction that is testable and uh, by observations and our observations show it's not complete. And so are you in the work of trying to put forth a different model or what is your um, I So I'm on the observational side. So I uh, do observations of these planets and um, try to study what we, try to see what we can learn about them that can be fed into the people who work with the models. So those would be theorists. So um, I work closely with the theorists, uh, but I do the observational side, actually like getting at the telescope and taking pictures of the things, which is really cool. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very cool. So this idea of evidence <laughs> of fact, um, you know, having... Uh, trying to put some observations on the table. This is not completely incompatible with the Bible, with faith. Um, 
we see, you know, I think of like at the beginning of Luke, the gospel of Luke, the author of Luke clarifies what his whole purpose is mm -hmm. in writing the gospel. And in Luke 1, 3, he talks about the reason that he's writing it. Um, and he says that, you know, having, so, you know, he's talking about him writing the gospel. He says, therefore, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seems good also to me to write an orderly account for you, uh, to Theophilus, the guy he's writing the letter to. And he said, so that you may uh, know the certainty of the things which have, which have been taught. So this is Luke saying, you've been, you've heard some teachings about what Christ was. My goal was to go get evidence mm -hmm. to put together. And throughout the gospels, we see that with, you know, they're putting the story in a specific time and place with names, dates, locations, you know, very easy to, you know, to say, oh, that, that town doesn't exist or, you know, sure. that, you know, there yeah. were people who were at the temple when you said that happened. Um, and so I think just this basic under the, um, kind of this basic kind of mindset, scientific mindset you're talking about of, of making observations, getting evidence, mm -hmm. uh, having, you know, trying to account for them, that in and of itself is not anti-biblical. It's not, right. you know, actually right. that's what the Bi a lot of the Bible is itself is was written for an account as evidence for mm -hmm. what Christ was. And, uh, so even just the basic trying to get our hands around what science is, mm -hmm. this we haven't been disqualified yet. The things that we're sure. trying to to do in Scripture. Can I can I offer a counter Please. a counter example? Go for it. Um, so uh, I think this was maybe more popular about ten or fifteen years ago. But um, the idea of intelligent design was put forward as a potential um, scientific idea. Um, and the the idea behind it basically is that the universe appears to be very finely tuned. Um, like the values of the physical constants, like um, like the gravitational constant, uh, Stefan Boltzmann constant, things like that, are um, very um, very precisely finely tuned. And if they were slightly different, we couldn't have the universe as we see it today. And so, because there is this apparent fine tuning, there must be some designer who did the fine tuning. Um, and uh, and that was put forward as a it was claimed to be a scientific claim. Um, uh, however, that question isn't a question of science because you can't design an observation or an experiment to test the existence of a designer. Um, it's uh, maybe more of a philosophical claim. Yeah. So um, it's it's a it's a great idea and it's a it's a good thing to work through um, and it's a valid. Posit, but it's not necessarily a scientific question. So it's not appropriate to be discussed like in a science classroom, let's say, because it's not scientific. Um, it's still good and it's still valid, but right. it's it's not science. Yeah. So so you're trying to make a distinction between scientific inquiries. There are certain yes. questions that science can answer, that can test, that can do observations in yes. this on your falsifiable what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then there's other questions that are interpreting. How would you how would you relate to what the other questions are? Are they interpreting? Yeah what the evidence is or they're trying to answer completely different questions how do you how would you explain those two sets of questions yeah um uh, it, it could be an interpretation you could consider it um as that um i think maybe and this is not my field at all so i'm not sure but maybe it could fall into the realm of philosophy more than um more than a scientific question uh but yeah that's um once you start to make claims on the the meaning behind the observations, then you're out of the realm of science and yeah. you're you're into more philosophy. Excellent. Uh, so, and not everyone who claims to be a scientist uh, sticks to this dynamic that you're. I mean, this dis division that you're doing. That's true. Uh, that you're making here. <laughs> so you're being very helpful. That there are 
there's a system, there's an observation, there's a discipline mm -hmm. uh, for certain questions in science. And then there are interpretations or conclusions you come from those. And we, and the problem, a lot that contributes to people thinking there's a, a conflict between faith and science is that there are people who claim to be scientists, who are scientists, mm -hmm. uh, but they try to go and answer some of those philosophical questions. Right. Uh, and so one which of Which is which is fine for them to do, but when they begin to claim that science necessitates these conclusions, these philosophical conclusions, that's where I think there there's a little bit of breakdown. Yeah. So tell us who you're talking about. Um, so a, a good example is the the so-called new atheist Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Daniel Dennett. Um, they have uh, they're very outspoken um, uh, folks who claim that the observations of science require that there is no creator. Basically, they, they assume that uh, there is nothing beyond what we can observe with our faculties. Um, and so that's, that's a bit of a stretch to say that um, because we have these faculties that we can observe the universe, we can't observe anything beyond, there's nothing to observe beyond what we can observe. Um, that's that's a bit of a stretch scientifically. So, um, so I, I think they're I personally think they're going beyond what science requires when they make those claims. Yeah, and which is problematic because mm -hmm. they're seen as representative. Yes. Of the because field. they are scientists. Yeah. They are, and and um, so yeah, exactly. So uh, you made a recommendation, uh, a book by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. I love this book. Uh, called the Great Partnership that really does a good job of explaining these two can you give us a quick pitch so if people want to look at this specific question about the two different give mm -hmm. us a quick summary or, or recommendation on that yeah i love this book um it's probably one of my favorite books on the topic uh rabbi jonathan sachs is the um head rabbi i forget the title um in, uh, in england um and his uh thesis uh, behind the great partnership is that uh science and religion, uh, by which he means, he refers to faith in, in a monotheistic God. He's not specific to any one faith discipline, um, but he includes Christianity, Judaism, and Islam together um, when he's talking about the philosophy of religion. Um, and his thesis is that um, science and faith in, in a God are not only not in conflict, but they are both essential for human flourishing, that you have to engage both your rational faculties and your emotional, mental, philosophical faculties as well to be fully human, basically. Uh, so, okay, so we see there, there are different questions in, in both of those that you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, on the faith side and on the scientific side, or the, the philosophical side, theological side, and the, the scientific side. Mm -hmm. um, what's the relationship between these two questions in, in your perspective? Um, has your faith and what you believe about God and the gospel been enriched by your work? Has your work been enriched by your faith? Or how do those two parts, you know, the way you answer those different questions, how mm -hmm. do those interact and, and play off of one another? Yeah, absolutely. My belief in, in the Christian God has absolutely impacted my appreciation for the findings of science. Um, I am... The universe is just so amazing and I, I get to study it and it's it's what God made and it's how he made it. And um, um, so I, I often encounter people who 
think that um, once a scientist starts to study something in depth, that it starts to lose some of the majesty or some of the magic or beauty. Like um, I had a conversation with a lady who was um, upset when the speaker started talking about how stars make the elements and what the elements are made of in the stars. And she, she basically said, like, why can't you just look at the stars and look at how pretty they are and appreciate it? You're taking away some of the magic. And I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> the way stars work is so cool and just so beautiful. Um, as an example, uh, I just recently learned um, in depth about uh, Maxwell's equations, which is a set of four equations, which can actually be boiled down into two equations, that governs everything about how electricity and, mag and magnetism work. So this complex world that we see of electricity and magnetism and how everything works is all boiled down to two equations. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. The mathematical world, and there's, there's cases where, um, there's an example in quantum mechanics where there's a mathematical term that had to be added in that we don't fully physic understand physically why it has to be there, but it has to be there. And if you take it out, um, we don't get chemical bonds. And so like the math basically drives the way the physical world works. And right. it's, just, it's just so incredible and it's just so cool. And I don't, I, it's so ma majestic and it's just beautiful. So the physical world. So Psalm 19 tells us <laughs> the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day by day pour pours out speech and night by night reveals knowledge. There's no speech uh, nor are the words whose voice is not heard in creation. And you're saying this is still true if you stare at the heavens longer. Like, yeah. like if the you observe you learn. how the heavens are working, they're still there's declaring. There's more. There's declaring. more. Yeah. And it's just, it's so, um, it's like getting further down the rabbit hole. The more you learn, the more we as a species figure out, the, the more complicated and interesting and weird it gets. Quantum mechanics is incredibly bizarre. Very it's scientific so term, weird there. <laughs> yeah, weird. I love quantum mechanics. It's so weird. It doesn't make sense. Einstein actually had some major objections to quantum mechanics, but, um, but it's right. Like it's held true for a century. We know that it's right, even though it's weird and it doesn't make sense always. And we have a time, hard time picturing how things work on a quantum scale with our limited brains. But um, the math makes predictions that are borne out by the physical reality. So it's true, <laughs> even though we don't understand it. Yeah. It's really cool. Quantum mechanics is, it blows my mind. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And <laughs> yeah. I, I think, yeah, scripture tells us we see things about God in nature. You know, yeah. Romans 1 tells us about that, um, is that we can learn about God by observing things. And there somehow is this feeling like, well, if we observe them too much or too, uh, you know, use a methodology to make these observations, to look into uh, to nature and how God created uh, the universe, then somehow it loses that. It's no mm -hmm. longer worship. But just listening to you describe <laughs> formulas, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's like this is yeah. worship. You are seeing. It, you absolutely. Know, um, and scientists uh, operate that way. Um, if, if we ever solved all the problems in physics, the most disappointed people in the world would be the physicists because there was nothing new to discover or explore or find out. Um, it would be really boring if we had all the answers. <laughs> so, so after worship, uh, obviously, while you're working, while you're learning how the, the world works, what else, um, you know, kind of in the endeavor of science itself, uh, what other kind of relationship is there between faith and science or things that you believe about God and what you're actually doing in science? Um, 
I'm not I'm not sure. Like the what are you orderly we talked about orderliness. Okay. I'm sorry. I forget what we talked <laughs> about. That. Right. That's all right. I'm trying to keep. I'm trying to keep us moving. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so we, we talked about in in some. In, we have a couple of resources we'll put on the website. Oh, okay. Um, of McGrath and Linux and some great books. And there's a, a kind of a defense about science works. Science you can make observations mm -hmm. because the world is orderly, mm -hmm. and you don't get an orderly universe from chaos. You don't get an orderly universe. Um, you know, we can have confidence in orderliness because of some kind of force, some kind of uh, outside force that is keeping things orderly. God created things that can be relied upon. And so... Um, that just, that because the sun rose t today, we can assume that the sun will rise tomorrow. Right, Yeah. right, yeah. And we see that there's some criticism of that in the Enlightenment of mm -hmm. there were some people who were attacking the very heart of science, like mm -hmm. David Hume. Uh, attacking oh, yeah. the very heart mm -hmm. of science because of that. As he said, there's nothing, you know, he was denying, we don't have evidence God exists, so how can we be confident that things will, that we observe today, will be true tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there's this interesting theology at work at the very base of science that some of the conversation in these topics gets to is about reliability. The other one, uh, the other part was, we talked about Francis Bacon's Two book analogy. Mm -hmm. uh, do you yeah. want to describe that just real quick? Uh, that God reveals Himself in the Bible and in nature. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, so this idea of general revelation and special revelation. Sure. Like it is all God. It mm -hmm. is all God communicating. It is all the work of God. But there are two books, so to speak: uh, the Book of Nature and. Um, the Bible. And if that's the case, like God cannot contradict himself. So anything we observe about the universe has to be the way God created the universe because like, so, so those observations can't be in conflict with the revealed scripture. Excellent. Yeah. And, and so this sense that we see in some Christian circles of like almost a fear mm -hmm. of science or mm -hmm. a fear of what we'll discover if we keep digging things up, if mm -hmm. we keep you know, looking at these observations, whether it's the Big Bang or evolutionary biology or whatever, there's this kind of inerrant fear that, well, we don't know what we're going to find. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're saying, well, if God wrote... If God created the universe, then whatever we discovered about the universe has to be the way he created it. Right. Um, so we don't have to be in fear of things like the Big Bang, mm -hmm. because that's that's it's true. It's, it's real. It happened. Right. Uh, and it happened 13.8 billion years ago. Um, <laughs> like, we're confident on that and nothing in the universe makes sense without that like if you don't include that in your understanding of the universe nothing really makes sense right um, the same is true about evolutionary biology uh, I'm not a biologist I, I don't know very much about biology but um, I know from biologists that nothing in biology makes sense without evolution um, and if you if you kick evolutionary theory out of your biology, nothing makes sense anymore. So um, it's absolutely the foundation of modern biology and has been for 150 years. So um, so while I don't know much about it myself, that's what biologists who do this as a profession for their professional lives uh, say. So, Do you think there's maybe, when Christians are looking at that, do you think maybe they've misunderstood the claims of science? And, and so they've misunderstood theories that were then clarified or replaced yeah and so that they thought well science was wrong right on this one topic and right. so now it was updated or it was the, the theory was clarified do you think it's a are you talking about how um theories evolve over time what we i mean because what you just said about well 
this is absolutely true. You can't throw this theory out. Mm -hmm. It's it's central. But there have been theories like that in the mm -hmm. scientific community that were then clarified, that they were then replaced. Sure. Do you think? Well, a classic example is Newtonian gravity. Um, Newton laid out a uh, conception of how gravity works um, on a macro scale, which basically means the scales of, of like how we exist in our daily lives, um, and uh, in the 1700s. And that um, his conception of gravity makes very good predictions that um, are very useful uh, until uh, up until a point where they start to break down. Like an example is. Um, the orbit of Mercury that we observe was didn't quite fit with um, Newtonian gravity, and uh, uh, it also doesn't work when things are moving very, very fast, like near the speed of light. Um, and it also starts to break down when things are very, very small, like in the quantum realm. So, um, uh, so that doesn't mean that Newton is wrong, and we have to throw out. Newtonian gravity, um, because it is very useful. I, I work with um, the orbit of planets, which is very well described by Newtonian gravity. Um, so it had to, but it had to be tweaked and improved. And that's where Einstein and general relativity came along. Um, general relativity now, when you add general relativity into the picture of gravity, now you can perfectly predict the orbit of Mercury. And it, it works great. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so it, the process of science is long, and it, it takes a long time, but um, you, these ideas get tweaked and improved and made better once you find observations that don't fit with the previous paradigm of knowledge. Right. You don't just throw out the paradigm of knowledge, because Newtonian gravity works great, yeah. unless you are really close to something massive like the sun. Like Mercury is close to the sun, it's why it doesn't work hmm. as well. What, uh, so, so the way we've been talking about the relationship between faith and science and them being more compatible, more, you know, um, kind of, yeah, more, more compatible than is usually discussed. I mean, Christians have not always handled this relationship well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and Christians probably, uh, you know, are more hesitant to, to get, you know, to say what you've just said about, you know, these scientific theories are not a threat, mm -hmm. you know, to us. Um, what are some of the errors or kind of wrong approaches to science that you've seen from Christians or from um, those that do believe in God? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and just some things that we should, we should write, you know, kind of put down and, and think about of, you know, possible uh, fallacies that we want to avoid. Um, so I guess one of the big ones I've encountered is um, a simplistic understanding of what a theory says or predicts. Um, for example, I have heard Christian thinkers posit that evolution cannot be true because um, the second law of thermodynamics says that entropy uh, must always be increasing. Um, and uh, in evolution, you go from a more ordered state to a less, or a less ordered state to a more ordered state, which would cause the entropy to decrease. And that violates the second law of thermodynamics, so it can't be true. Um, but that belies a profound misunderstanding of the second law of thermodynamics. Um, and so it, it, evolution is absolutely compatible with the second law of thermodynamics. So um, uh, they had a, these thinkers had a surface level understanding of what the second law actually says, and they applied it incorrectly mm -hmm. to try to counter this, uh, uh, try to fight this against evolution. So the, um, the error in that position is looking for more of the response to a claim. So we see science is claiming something, and we're just looking for a refutation. Like, you know, how do we respond rather than 
actually understanding what the scientific right. theory is. Right, right. And how, and doing the work of trying to figure out if and how the second law of thermodynamics is compatible with evolution. Okay. Um, because they are, oh, they are compatible. So instead of so. looking for kind of gotcha shortcuts, exactly. uh, you know, actually investing in and apply, you know, kind of not criticizing from the outside, but pushing in and trying to understand what is actually being said first before jumping to the, aha, I found you exactly. wrong. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, what else? What's another uh, another fallacy we would we would want to avoid as Christians trying to think through this? Um, so I've seen um, uh, examples of like a false equivalency of um, authoritative statements. So, for example, on a news show, having a um, blogger talk about an issue alongside a PhD scientist in the same field. <laughs> so, um, and and because of the format of the news show, um, those two ideas are presented as equal authority. Um, so Fair and balanced. Fair that's that's what we're doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Right. So um, <laughs> so this is this is problematic because um, you know uh, a blogger will like or a pundit or somebody will have a, likely have a very shallow understanding of something, whereas a PhD scientist um, not only has probably spent decades of their own professional lives studying the the issue, but they're also building upon centuries of knowledge to do that. So, um, so uh, and it's tempting to for news outlets to hold them up as uh, of similar authoritative weight, yeah. which is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So. One of the other fallacies uh, that we talked about that we're really sensitive to here at City Life is dualism or, or Gnosticism, the mm -hmm. idea that material, everything material and physical is bad, and everything spiritual and immaterial is good. And so, you know, the Christian life is the spiritual overcoming, you know, the non-spiritual, the material. And, th and that couldn't be far from uh, the gospel. More, uh, it, what we see in the gospel is uh, giving dignity to the physical. Um, Christ coming in the flesh, the fact that he was in the flesh is extremely important theologically. Uh, he's giving, you know, he didn't come as a spirit that just looked like a human being. He came as a human being. He ate, he drank, he was, uh, you know, worked with his hands. He actually was dignifying the material human experience. Um, and then we see in the doctrine of creation, you know, God actually created a physical world. Uh, but in Christianity, and we've seen this time and time again, is there keeps this, Platon this uh, kind of platonic idea that, you know, the material is bad and the immaterial is good. Uh, and so the Christian walk is to deny the flesh, to deny everything material, whereas what we learned today, God is glorified by uh, mm -hmm. us you know, enjoying a good meal, cooking a good meal for our family, uh, making great works of art. You know, mm -hmm. These very material, very tangible things are also as spiritual, so to speak, you know, as um, something like meditation or... or <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, and to add something of my own, I guess, personal philosophy, um, uh, one thing that I'm always amazed at is, is that I I get to ask these important questions about like how planets form, and I get to work to find try to find the answer. Um, and I, I think that I think that these are gifts from God that God gave us the mental faculties to be able to do this to be able to explore his creation, and he gave us the desire and the drive to do it. These are gifts from God. Excellent. And and they're, they're gifts of my, me personally, I, he definitely 
called me to this work. Like yeah. I am 100% called to this work. Um, but, uh, but he gave that to humanity. Like we as a species have a drive to work to understand our physical world. Um, and, to, and to, it's part of um, um, ruling and subduing the earth, right? We, we right. use the, our faculties to improve our lives and to improve our, um, our status and to help our neighbors. And, and um, um, this is what he gifted us with. And if we deny these gifts, we're not living fully human, yeah. I think, because it's, we're not living how he made us. Yeah. No, it's a great point. So the God created an orderly universe that we can trust what you found to be true last week is going to continue to be true mm -hmm. while you go back to work tomorrow. Uh, you can rely on that because there is an orderliness to the universe, but there's Unless also I made a mistake, which this is a typo true, in my true. Unless Absolutely there's a typo right. in my code, which there usually is. Okay, yeah. Um. Right. <laughs> Assuming what you observed was correct. Um, but there's an orderliness to creation that, and, and but there's also an orderliness to us. Mm -hmm. The Lord created us in a way that we can see that pattern, that we mm -hmm. can see make those observations. Uh, and, and that we're driven to do it. Like yeah. we can't deny that as a species, this is a, 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 a pull that we feel mm -hmm. to be able to, to, to understand as much as we can. I mean, it's throughout human history. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. So just the last thing we'll do uh, before we open up to questions here is uh, just want to use some kind of gospel categories to put some of this, couldn't kind of put it into a good framework. It was as we go forward, as we continue to have these conversations at City Life um, and think about science, just to put it in a gospel framework of, you know, the doctrine of creation tells us God is not just the cause of everything. Um, he didn't just start everything, but he's sovereign overall. He's authoritative overall. Um, the doctrine of providence is that he is control of how everything unwinds from creation. He didn't just start, you know, the world and then walk away. Um, that he is, has providence, that he's active in how things are working. So uh, whenever we observe something happening in nature, it's, it's not just his sovereignty, but it's also his providence, that he's the one. Um, Colossians 1 tells us Christ is the firstborn of all creation, that he um, is, uh, in him all things were created, but that he also uh, holds all things together in himself. Um, I mean, so there is a very active, like, you know, the gospel, the scripture teaches us, there's a very active role for God to have in creation even today. Um, we see that kind of part of the gospel is the fall, that everything was corrupted by the fall. Sin has even, has very physical effects. So if you're thinking of just the spiritual versus the, sorry, the supernatural versus the natural, the gospel contradicts that because it says the fall, a very spiritual rebellion against God, had physical effects. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the first consequences of the fall was difficulty in uh, difficulty in uh, agriculture, uh, growing plants for them to eat, but in also pain in childbirth. Two very physical, very material consequences for a spiritual rebellion. Um, and so there is no <laughs> distinction. There's such a unity mm -hmm. of those two, even in the fall. But then Christ comes not as a holy, you know, as a ghost, not as the, just the spirit. He came in the flesh. He died in the flesh, you know, suffered physically. Um, so it's important that we see in those two aspects, but then also, and in the incarnation of Christ, but then also in the new creation, looking forward where we're going from here, mm -hmm. um, the Bible paints this picture of a new city, and it's going to be a real city. We see that the new Jerusalem is a physical 
place. And he just, they describe it as a garden city. There's a river that's actual water in the middle of the city. There are trees, um, the tree of life on each side of the garden. Like the picture that we get of where all of human history is going is a physical place. Mm -hmm. uh, it says that we're going to be raised with new bodies, not just floating around like you see you know, in the cartoons with wings and you know, kind of floating in the clouds immaterially. Mm -hmm. uh, the scripture is very clear that we're going to rise again like Christ who rose in the flesh. And so you know, something as uh, you know, material, as natural like science is not categorically dis should not be categorically dismissed just because oh well we're Christians we just care about the supernatural. Um, so wanted to put a, a framework there. Uh, anything else before we we turn it over about um, why there may be perceived conflict between faith and science or? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, did you want to talk about this? You can probably go. Just that. Um, just that, like, the conflict isn't necessarily between the work in science and what Christianity, what Christians believe, but the um, conflict is more the the interpretation of the findings of science, in that um, interpretation that, uh, uh, like we said about the new atheists, that um, the all that exists is what we can perceive with our um, with our faculties, that uh, any, there's nothing beyond that, which is um, not necessarily a scientific claim. It's a naturalist claim, which yeah. is a which is a worldview, um, and uh, and a philosophical worldview. So, um, so there's there really is, I think, no barrier for Christians to participate in science yeah. in all areas of science, and there's no barrier for Christians to. There's nothing to fear for Christians to learn about or try to understand the findings of science, the headlines, the news, um, the the theories of the day. Uh, there's really no threat there. Um, it's it can be perfectly compatible with your theology. You just may have to do a little work to understand yeah. how it's compatible. Um, but uh, if God created the universe, then then it's got to be compatible <laughs> yeah. because that's how he created the universe. Um, and the conflict comes from the interpretation of those observations. No, that's an excellent point. Thank you. Um, thank you, Logan, for, thank you. for that. Thank you for your clarity <laughs> and, yeah, just for being in a field that I don't think uh, many of us <laughs> in this room would uh, even have a swing. So I appreciate that. City Life Church exists to renew cities socially, spiritually, and culturally with the gospel of Jesus.